<laughs> oh. Well, uh, that's, a great, that's a great video. We'll post that on our Facebook page later today so you can see that again. Hey, uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad you decided to join us this morning on this snowy morning. I know this is going to be the last snow of the season, so just rejoice. This is it, right? This is it, and we're done. 70 degrees tomorrow. Uh, wow, we love our kids, don't we? Uh, wouldn't life be great if you, music could play, you could just ring a bell, and we needed a hug, you went and got a hug, and that was life. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Well, we love our kids so much, and they're our most important resource, and so uh, uh, we believe in them, and if you want to serve with them, you, you can. We need, need help uh, doing that. Hey, before we jump into our message today, I want to tell you what this, uh, this thing on your seat was uh, about. This is about the Christmas offering that's going to happen next Sunday. And our goal is to give away $75,000. Now here's how we're going to do it. We're asking everybody who calls Real Life Home to give a day's wages. To go to work one day this week, pick a day, get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm working today and I'm going to give this money away. And uh, every penny that is given will be given away. So we beat the goal, all of that gets given away. Uh, our two goals with that money. One is we want to impact the lives of 300 families in Northwest Indiana. So now here's what you can do, and some of you have already done this. You can nominate someone with a need. Uh, you can go to reallifecc.org slash Christmas and nominate someone there. There's a form also at the, the Start Here desk when you walk out through those double doors. You can nominate them, and then when we take the Christmas offering, we'll put a check in your hand to that person or whatever the need is, if it's NIPSCO, whoever, and you get to deliver that check. So that's one thing. The other thing is we want to give to Kujip Nazarene Hospital in Papua New Guinea. It's one of our partners. It's a, the network of churches we're a part of around the globe, the Church of the Nazarene. And if you were here in the summer, Dr. Scott Dooley, who was my college roommate, is the administrator of the hospital. It's a rural hospital in the middle of nowhere, New Guinea. And uh, this is the only medical care that people get. And so I want you to see, uh, just he sent, made us a video. It's kind of grainy because he could barely get, they don't have much bandwidth there to get something out when they do have the ability to do that. But uh, I want you to watch this real short video. Greetings Real Life Church from Papua New Guinea. Uh, as many of you know, here at the hospital, uh, every morning people line up. Uh, they're ready to see nurses and doctors and get their medicines. Uh, over there, the people are lining up to pay to go to the dental clinic. But there's a lot of places in Papua New Guinea where there are no doctors, no dentists, uh, and where just a few nurses do all the health care that's available. Uh, and so that's what we wanted to uh, bring to your attention uh, during this Christmas offering. Uh, that. There are many people even beyond the reach of this hospital that have no way to get to anywhere. Uh, and during the current budget crisis, they have even greater needs than what we represent at the hospital alone. So thank you for reaching far beyond this hospital and into uh, the mountains and the jungles of Papua New Guinea. So those are some scenes of uh, Papua New Guinea there, some of the places the, the, when the $15,000 of the offering that's going to go to them uh, will go to the rural outlying areas where they don't have the funds to make that work. And uh, there'll be nurses, they'll be sent there because you give. And so what you can do is you can take this envelope, you can put your Christmas offering in it, bring it back next week and uh, be a part of making a huge impact uh, here in Northwest Indiana and then around the globe. Well, uh, we're in a Christmas series. We're looking at the characters in the Christmas story. So I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. It's our habit to read a passage of scripture together. I'll read it aloud in Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible or a smartphone, uh, our app or the YouVersion uh, app on your phone, you can follow along as I read out loud from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing. Well, we're spending some time uh, this uh, Christmas season working through the Christmas story, through the characters in the Christmas story. Two weeks ago, we talked about the shepherds. Last week, we talked about Mary. Today, we're going to talk about Joseph. And we're learning about the meaning of Christmas, because what we're trying to say is that Christmas is not your birthday. Uh, We often think that Christmas is our birthday, and we treat it like it's our birthday, and we're trying to say, hey, that's not the meaning of Christmas, so what if we could recapture the meaning of Christmas? And so we're spending some time looking at the lives of the the characters in the Christmas story and what they teach us. And here's what I want to highlight today as we talk about Joseph, uh, because he's an example of this. I want to talk to you about how you could live a righteous life. And how in doing that, you could stick it to the man. Everybody just say, stick it to the man. man. See, some of you are really excited about that. I heard that, right, in your voice, stick it to the man. Joseph, in living a righteous life, he he stuck it in a way to the man. We're going to talk about about that this morning. Now, you may, uh, when I say that, you may go, okay, well, what do you mean, be righteous? Uh, Being righteous is just about being in the right. And so I want to show you the, the path to living a righteous life, how you can do that. You may not think that's possible because the thing that may come into your head when you hear righteous is self-righteous. And so you may think I'm talking about being self-righteous or better than other people, um, but that's not what the, the scriptures mean or what it means when, it, uh, when Matthew talks about Joseph. I just want to offer you a different way to be in the world uh, that's actually good and you know, good for you and make you a better person. So we're going to jump into this uh, text right away. If you'd pause with me, we're going to pray, and then we'll jump right into this. Let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, I ask that you would cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit so that we could uh, have the space in our mind and in our heart and in our life cleared for you so that we could actually love you and experience everything you meant for us to experience this Christmas. So we ask this uh, in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Well, verse 18 says that uh, this is how the birth of Jesus came to be came to be a, a reality is that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, when we think about that, we think about our, the way marriage happens in our world. You know, usually uh, a guy proposes to a girl, buys a ring, the guy kneels, and now some women propose to men. I don't know what that's about, but okay. Uh, but usually the guy does it, and he proposes, and then they're, they're engaged, and then there's, you know, however long that takes, six months, a year, two years, whatever, and then the, the marriage happens, the ceremony happens, and then the, they're, you're legally married at that point. That's kind of how we think uh, marriage happens. That wasn't exactly how it happened in the day of Mary and Joseph. There was a, a longer period, it was uh, called where we get the term betrothed or betrothal. They were betrothed, and so what would happen was uh, two parents would arrange for their children to be married. They'd be in their teens probably. The, the boy would usually be in his late teens and the girl in her young teens. The, he might be in his early 20s. And the families would get together and they would make this arrangement and they would make an illegal arrangement 
uh, called the ketubah. Say that with me. Ketubah. It has nothing to do with the tuba, uh, but it is a Hebrew word that just means a legal contract. And so they would come together and they would form a legal contract. And at the moment of that legal contract that the families would essentially sign, the couple was legally married. And from that point on, any uh, deviation from that relationship would be a divorce. And then there would be a, a time of, of waiting, and uh, then there would be maybe almost a year later, some scholars think it may have been up to even seven years later, there would be what was called the chuppah. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Say that word with me. Chuppah. Uh, that's terrible. One more time. Ready? Chuppah. There we go. You've probably heard of that, right? It's the, the picture we have out of it is this canopy that a Jewish couple gets married under. That's actually um, the, the Jewish uh, faith taking and kind of melding the Christian practice of marriage together, because that's not exactly what happened. The chuppah was a tent, and what would happen is you would, you would have the legal marriage, the ketubah, and then there would just be a day when they would say, it's time for chuppah, and you, you would go into the, the tent, the chuppah, the man and the wife, and you would consummate the marriage while everyone in the wedding party was outside waiting, and talk about pressure on your wedding night, right? <laughs> and so you would come out, and ha-ha, there was a, you, were, you were now not only legally married, but you'd consummated the marriage. Now, this is, this is the, the time that Mary and Joseph are in. They've had the ketubah, but not the chuppah. And it finds out that Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about this last week, talked about Mary, and the idea, if you go, how in the world would that work? We talked about how the Holy Spirit at the beginning of creation, if you can get your mind around this, hovered over the waters and spoke something uh, into being out of nothing in the same way hovered over Mary's womb, um, if that can make some sense to you. And then it says in verse 19 that Joseph was a righteous man, and because he was a righteous man, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And the reason is because he was thinking what you and I are thinking. Someone, you're married to someone legally in that day, and someone come, the, the woman comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm pregnant, and it's not your baby. You're going to think like I am. Right, right, sure, that's right. Now, Joseph didn't share our, any of our cynicism. He was a righteous person. And he just realized, look, she's gotten herself in trouble, and I don't want to hurt her, so he has in mind to do this quietly so that no shame is brought on her. Now, the reason the Bible gives for that, and the Matthew tells us, the reason he did that in a, in a kind and generous way and not in a harsh way where he could have uh, exposed her to public shame and humiliation is that he was righteous. It's this word righteous means to be in the right. Now, if you're going to be in the right, about something that depends on the rules of the game, doesn't it? I mean, if you uh, if you're playing basketball, if Steph Curry takes the ball and he tucks it under his arm and he runs down the court and knocks people over, what's going to happen? Right? Is he going to be in the right? No, he's not going to be in the right. Oh, what's going to happen? He's going to be called for a foul. Uh, he's going to absolutely be traveling. Or if later today, if Jay Cutler can ever make it to the end zone. Um, <laughs> Then, and he gets, to the, he gets to the goal line, and he stops, and he pulls up and, and shoots a three from the goal line over the goal post. Well, not only is he going to be on Sports Center for doing something stupid, but it's going to cause probably a, a safety, right, for the other team, right? The rules of the game. He's not going to be in the right. So it depends on the rules of the game. Now, here's what Joseph understood. Life is God's game. And so if life is God's game, then God gets to make the rules. So he wants to be in the right, on the right side. So Joseph understood that. So he said, okay, my, my uh, life is given over to God. So that's the start of his righteousness. Now, the word righteous all the way through the, is used all the way through the Bible. And it means things like just, and it means things like fair, and kind, and patient. It means someone who gives justice to people, someone who keeps God's commandments. 
Now, you may be thinking this, and it's kind of a false understanding of what righteousness is. You may be thinking this when I say the word righteous, but you may be thinking that what that means is someone who keeps all the rules. So you think this is someone who's over the top, goody-goody, they're kind of like a super rule keeper. If you remember uh, the character in The Simpsons, Ned Flanders, uh, Ned Flanders, who would send his kids off to church camp so they could learn to be more judgmental. Um, he's that guy. And so you think that's what I'm talking about, like this super rule keeper. And, and there, there's, some, there's, some, uh, there's some of us that in our personality, we're just more black and white. Some of us are more gray. Some of us just kind of see things in black and white. It's not necessarily a religious or irreligious thing. It's more a personality thing. Uh, but there are some, there's a religious version of that that kind of gets distorted and twisted. And if you've been around church stuff, you may have heard this uh, term used about someone. And, and we say that person is a, is a legalist. And what we mean by that is that person is kind of a, like a religious nitpicker. And they're not able to distinguish between the spirit of, of the law and the letter of the law. What do I mean? Well, uh, when you're driving down past a school zone on the sign, what does it say? It says, you know, you can go 20 miles an hour. That's the letter of the law. And if you go over the letter of the law, you'll get pulled over. The court won't care about what, you, how, what hurry you were in. They'll just say, you broke the letter of the law. But you know, if you're thinking, you know that the spirit of the law, why is that law there? What's to protect children, right? That's the heart of it. And so hopefully you'd have the heart when you go through that to say, oh, I don't want any kids to be hurt, so I'm going to slow down. Now, what happens is the court system, if you break the letter of the law, they're just going to come down on you hard because they don't care about the spirit of the law, so to speak. That's not their job. Their job is to enforce the letter of the law. And so what happens with a legalist is they become like a human court system judging everything that you do, right? That's why they're really annoying to be around, those kinds of religious people. And what those kinds of religious people need to understand is they need to, to figure out what Paul taught the Corinthians in his letter. He said this, uh, he said, for the letter, say the word with me, I think we've got it on the screen here, say the, that word in yellow, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives, what's the word? Life, right? So he said the letter of the law, if you follow the letter of the law, it kills, it hurts, it maims, it makes things difficult, but if you understand the spirit of things, the spirit that God means things to be done with, life comes to you. That's what you need to have. So if you think the Bible is just a book about keeping rules and doing the right things, you haven't actually read the Bible because the Bible itself says that's not the point. So a legalist is a miserable person because they can't keep all the rules. There's just a bunch of rules and they think they've got to keep them all. And because they are miserable, what they want to do is they want to make sure you share in their misery. So they do that by letting you know when you break the rules. Right? They're just really annoying to be around. They're really frustrating to be around. So I just want to make sure you understand that's not at all what the, the scriptures mean here, what Matthew's trying to paint, the picture Matthew's trying to paint for us when he says that Joseph was righteous. That's not, not at all what he means. What he means is something different. And if you wanted to get a, a sense, a whole picture sense of what that means, you might go to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs is uh, uh, just a book of Proverbs, just pithy sayings about how to live a wise life. There's 31 chapters. If you wanted to start reading the Bible somewhere, that'd be a good place. You could read a chapter a day. But that word righteous is repeated over and over again, and there's all these examples of what a righteous person is like. And if you were to go through, read the whole book of Proverbs, circle or underline or highlight, every time you see the word righteous, you'd begin to get a sense of the kind of person that Joseph was and the kind of person that you and I are called to be, a different way that you could live your life. I'll give you a few examples. Here's from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun. Shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In other words, a righteous person, their life gets brighter and brighter. 
we're getting ready to come up to 2017, and it's going to be like every year. People are going to make resolutions. Uh, the gym will be packed, and those of you that go to the gym regularly, you're going to be like, okay, I'll give you a month, and you won't be here anymore. Uh, it, but it's, everyone's going to make these resolutions because they want to make it better. They, they, mean, they mean so well. They want to make their life better. But here's what most of us do. We basically take the same year, and we just repeat it. And so instead of living a, a, a different year every year of our lives, we just kind of live the same year 10 times in a row or 15 times in a row or 20 times in a row. And it just doesn't get any better. Our levels of patience don't go up. Our levels of love don't increase. Our levels of anger don't diminish. We're just kind of the same person over and over again. The picture the Bible paints is if, the, if you become a righteous person, that your life just gets brighter and brighter. I, I have met some people in their 90s who are righteous people who just sparkle. Why? Because they're righteous. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 7. The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. In other words, your name's going to come up in conversation, and if you're a righteous person, it's going to be like a blessing. Oh, I, I'm, I'm like that person? Oh, okay, all right. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. In other words, a righteous person is the kind of person who's kind to the weakest possible creature, even their animals. Uh, someone told me once, he said, you, you can learn a lot about a person's character by how they treat the server at a restaurant. And if you're around someone and they're a follower of Jesus and they're exceptionally kind to the person that's serving, because they and, and they're just doing it for money, right? And they don't, they don't yell at them and they don't berate them and they don't talk down to them. It's highly likely that person's a righteous person. That's why they're acting that way. Or verse, uh, Proverbs 29, verse 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. A righteous person doesn't say, listen, here's, here's, uh, here's, here's I'm going to care for the poor because of the Democrats, I'm a Democrat and I care for the poor. They don't say, well, I'm a Republican and so I got my own plan for the poor. They don't, they don't make those kinds of distinctions. What they say is, God cares about the poor and so I'm going to care about the poor. It's just something that they do because they're righteous. You can kind of capture the heart of it in uh, Proverbs 11:10, and it's this, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Well, what in the world does that mean? Is the writer of the Proverbs saying, well, when the righteous, everyone's just so glad that they've made more money and their business was a success? Is that what they're saying? No. He's saying because a righteous person is someone who is willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community. And so when the righteous prosper, everyone rejoices because they say that person is going to make it better for everybody. That's not just going to improve them. They're going to give money and they're going to invest in people and they're going to make a difference. So they rejoice when the righteous prosper. That's what happens. And so th this, is what, this is what Matthew is telling us, is this is the kind of person that Joseph was. Because the letter of the law about a woman who was caught in, a, in basically adultery is what that would have been considered in that day. The letter of the law said you could take her out to the edge of town and the men could gather around with stones and throw stones at her until she died. And Joseph didn't live by the letter of the law because he wasn't a legalist. He, under, he had the right heart about things. He had the spirit of the law, and he went, I'm not going to shame her. I'm not going to do that. I mean, isn't this, whether you're religious or not, don't you kind of aspire to be a person like that? I, mean, I would hope so, right? So, but now you need to understand this. Joseph was not some religious leader. Uh, he didn't have a bunch of theological training. Uh, he wasn't a religious expert. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't on staff at a church somewhere. Uh, he didn't have any of those kinds of things. In fact, the way the designation for Joseph, Joseph's occupation is the Greek word technon, where we get the word technician. Uh, he would be like a millwright. Joseph was a blue-collar guy. 
He was just a regular dude who got up and went to work and worked hard, and his hands were rough, and he worked out in the elements, and he wore a Carhartt overall. I mean, like, this, was, this was Joseph. This was his life. This was the kind of person that he was. And so what Matthew wants us to know is being righteous has nothing to do with having some theological pedigree or knowing a lot about the Bible or having some sort of education. It has have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with submission to God. It has nothing to do with education. So the, now let me, let me tell you how you could become like Joseph and do the kinds of things that he did because here's my definition of a righteous person. A righteous person is a person made right who makes things right. A righteous person is a person made right who makes things right. Now, you don't become righteous by acting good. Uh, this is not something that you earn. Uh, you become righteous by submitting your life to God. And in the act of submitting your life to God, God changes you so that you begin to love different things. And from the inside out, you're transformed. Now, Joseph is in a long line of righteous people in the scriptures. So if you were to go way back to the beginning of the Bible and, and read about Abraham, and God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, listen, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your father and your mother and your country and go to the place that I'm going to send you. And Abraham gets up and he says, okay, and he goes. And in the process of going, he, God makes him a right. In the act of submission, he becomes a righteous person. He becomes an example even of what faith is. Uh, if you knew the story of Moses, and Moses is just this, uh, this shepherd and uh, he's out tending the sheep, and he hears, sees this bush, and he, he hears, has this encounter with God, and God says to him, listen, Moses, I'm going to send you, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people, the Israelites, go, because they're enslaved in Egypt, and they're gonna, you're going you're to tell them this, and so he goes, and in the going, he becomes a righteous person. If you were to read the book of Esther, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, about this woman who's in the king's court, and she finds that she's a Jewish person, and she finds out that the king is planning to kill all of her people, and she, in her uh, submission to God, says, I'll put my own life at risk, because if you went into the king's presence in the wrong, with the wrong attitude, he'd have you killed. And she goes in, in an act of submission, and lives this righteous, this righteous thing happens inside of her. And Joseph is just another in the long line of people in the scriptures who lived a righteous life, by submitting themselves to God. That's how you become righteous. Uh, we know this because in verse 20 through 25 of this story, what happens is that uh, Matthew hears this, has this dream. He's ready to divorce Mary and do it quietly and do it in a righteous kind of a way. And what happens is he has this dream and this angel says, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In fact, she's going to have a baby and you're going to name him Jesus. The Hebrew word there would have been Yeshua, where we get the English word Joshua. Yeshua means God saves, what's translated into Jesus. He, his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so he gets up. From this dream, he takes Mary and he dis, uh, changes his plans. And then when the baby Jesus is born, he gives him the name Jesus. He just does what God asks him to do. In fact, later in verse uh, 13 of chapter 2, uh, God appears to him again and says, go to Egypt. And he does. And then a few verses later, when they've been in Egypt for a while, go back to Nazareth. And he does. He's just a person who submits himself to God. This is the heart of being a righteous person. It's not that you earn it because you're so good. You submit yourself to God. And so that's Joseph. He's made right. He's made right. But then he's a person who makes things right. Now, you have to understand this about Joseph. Joseph lived in Nazareth. We talked about that last week with Mary. It's a place where nobody comes from, nobody good. And Joseph is one of the little guys. He's one of the guys that has the boot on his neck. 
And he's, uh, he's somebody that he always has to take it. Because you know, this is how the world works, right? Isn't it? There are the little guys, and then there are the guys who make money on the back of the little guys. And so the little guys feel like, okay, I'm just going to put all the work in, and you're going to, other, some other guy somewhere up the food chain is going to make all the money on my hard work. And so there's this bitterness that, and resentment that kind of grows inside of us because of that whole arrangement. Now, Joseph was one of those little guys. He's one of those guys with the boot on his neck. He was just a technician. That's his job. He just shows up and does his work every day. Notice what Matthew doesn't say. Matthew does not say, man, Joseph was raised up in his generation and stuck it to the man. He doesn't say that, right? It just simply says this. Joseph was a righteous man. Now, here's, here's our, our problem with the whole system, the way that it works, is we believe that if we, could just, if we could just take it to the man, if we could just stick it to the man, and we could show them, then everything would be okay. We'd set the world right. Because we're bitter about it, and we're angry about it. But the man, the man is the system. It's not a person. And the way you overcome the system is not by playing the rules, uh, playing by the, the rules of the system. It's by playing by the rules of a different system altogether. Remember our analogy about if you want to be in the right, you have to know the rules of the game? Because if you play by the system's rules, the system uh, works on payback. Like I do for you, you do for me. And if someone does something wrong, you pay them back for it. Now you could, if you feel like you're one of the little guys, you could do this in a passive-aggressive way. Uh, you could be lazy at work. You could be late for work. You could just not care when you're at work. You could steal time when you're at work. You could, be in a, you could do that in an aggressive or violent way. You could make threats. You could slash someone's tires. You could do all kinds of things that say, uh, I'm not going to be a part of this. You could strike. You could fight. You could argue. Either way, what you're saying is, listen, the man did me wrong, and I'm going to make it right. Now, when you do that, I understand why you do that. I understand the bitterness that you feel and the resentment that someone would earn something off of your back. But here's what you're doing. You're simply playing by the same rules. You're not changing the system. You're not doing anything different. You're just perpetuating the cycle one more time around so that it just keeps on going. Here's what Joseph did. He was in the same kind of a system, way more oppressive than the system you and I live in. And he just decided, I'm not going to play by that system's rules at, at all. I'm going to play by an entirely different system. This, this game, this is God's game, and I'm going to play by God's rules. And so he decided he was going to live a righteous life. We were driving home uh, last night from a, a birthday party. My wife and I was just talking about, you know, talk about Joseph tomorrow. And uh, my wife had this really interesting insight. She said, you know what? It's really interesting how strong Joseph must have been. I mean, just think about it for a second. Uh, here he is. If he'd had any care about what people would think of him in that day in a small town, a pregnant woman found out it's not his wife, uh, not, his, not his baby. Uh, I mean, if he'd cared at all about what people thought about him, he would have never raised the Son of God. And do you think at all, if you know the life of Jesus, if you think at all that Jesus was impacted by this, Joseph would have basically essentially been his stepdad, was impacted by the, the life and the values of a righteous man who raised him like Joseph, who had the spirit of the law at his heart. And so when Jesus later in his life confronts the Pharisees who are all about the letter of the law, he'd seen the real thing. And so Joseph's act of being a righteous person reverberates to Jesus, and that reverberates to you and I. So do you see the power of playing by a different system altogether? Can you see that? And it's only by playing by a different system altogether that you can actually make things right. Otherwise, you just play the game and you perpetuate the cycle and it never ends. And it's just a cycle that's either passive-aggressive or it's a cycle that's violent. 
or you can choose to be righteous, and that's how you can make things right and be a different person altogether. And then people are like, I can't understand that guy. Right, because you play by a different set of rules, and you make things right. Well, I would, uh, I would say that some of us are in the position of we need to be made right. We're in the position where we, we have uh, we've made a mess of our lives, and the beautiful message of Christmas is that any of us at any point can be made right. We can start over. God can make us from the inside out righteous and begin to give us new loves and new values that change us and make us different people in the world. And then some of us, I need to say, okay, I have been playing by the rules of the system and I need to give them up and I need to play by the rules of God's system and I need to, I need to play a different game. I need to play the righteous game where I bless and I don't curse, where I love my enemies, I don't pay them back where I forgive, I don't hold resentment and bitterness in my heart. So which one's you? What do you need to do? What's God saying to you? Let me pray for you, and then we'll go for the day. I invite you to stand with me, if you would. Let's pray. Uh, God, we hear this, uh, this message from the life of Joseph about the possibilities for our life. Some of us uh, feel like we're the farthest thing from righteous. Uh, some of us feel like there's too much dirt, like you couldn't deal with the dirt in our life. If, if you knew the dirt in our life, that you would reject us. God, thank you for the message of Christmas that you came for people who are dirty, for people who are a mess. And that you came to make unrighteous people righteous. And so God, we accept that gift. We ask you to change what's in our hearts so that we begin to love the things that you love and we become different people. And Lord God, some of us have been playing the rules of the game by the system, thinking we can somehow change it with our uh, passive-aggressive anger or our violence or our threats or our words, and we don't see, we have not seen to this point that all we're doing is perpetuating the system. So give us the courage to step outside the system and to, to get into the righteousness system where we live in a different way. We make things right by playing by a different set of rules. So we ask for the courage to, that it takes to do that every day. So God, uh, we received the message that Christmas is not our birthday, it's yours, and so we want to be about the things that you care about. We pray this in your name. All God's people said. We leave you with a blessing every week. You'll see people holding out their hands. It's their way of saying they'd like to receive a blessing. If you're good with that, great. If you're not, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you that was especially for you when you were completely unrighteous. And may you know that you're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.